Thank you for joining us for another lesson from God's Word. Anytime you're in Huntsville, we hope you'll come be part of our worship. The West Huntsville Church of Christ at Providence is located at 1519 Old Monrovia Road Northwest, Huntsville, Alabama, 35806. We hope you'll enjoy this lesson brought to us by Glenn Colley. Tonight's scripture reading before the sermon is coming from Ephesians 4, uh, verses 1 through 6. That's Ephesians 4, 1 through 6. I'll be reading from the New King James Version. I, therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called, with all lowliness and gentleness, with long suffering, bearing with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called in one hope of your calling. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. You may be seated. Thank you. Would you open God's book, please, to Psalm 133? If you want an outline of the sermon, you can have it by leaving that passage open on your lap. Psalm 133. I'm happy to see you here tonight, and some of you are here as visitors, and we're just so glad to have you. I hope that if you live around here, that one day soon you'll be a member of the West Huntsville Church of Christ, and we'd love to talk to you about that more. But this sermon really isn't about our visitors tonight. I mean, I hope you enjoy it, and I hope, hope you uh, grow by it. This, this sermon is, is in particular about and for our members in this church. And what I want you to do for the next few minutes, if you're a member of the West Huntsville Church of Christ, is to be very aware, keenly aware of where you are and the people who are around you and the relationship that you sustain with the people around you in this room. And then let's read Psalm 133 and we'll talk about it. It's a very short psalm. Behold how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. It's like the precious oil upon the head, running down on the beard, the beard of Aaron, running down on the edge of his garments. It's like the dew of Hermon descending upon the mountains of Zion. For there the Lord commanded the blessing, life evermore. Now let's just take this apart. Let's take it piece by piece and enjoy this discussion of the, of the unity among God's people. How good and how pleasant it is. Now, in my life, not everything that was good for me was pleasant. And when I was a child, I can remember some discipline from my parents that I didn't enjoy one bit. Now, the Hebrews writer in chapter 12 of Hebrews in verse 11 says, Now, no chastening for the present seems to be joyful. Well, that's true about, that was true about my parents, but grievous. And then he adds this, nevertheless, afterwards, it yields a peaceable fruit of righteousness unto them which are exercised by it. So the point is that we didn't enjoy that, but it probably did us some good. And it pains me to say that, but it probably did us a lot of good. It it was, it was good, but not pleasant. And some things are pleasant, but probably not good. Now, Dorothy Spencer's sweet rolls, uh, we'd get a pan of those, uh, oh, I don't know, during the holidays, and Cindy wouldn't let me eat them. She'd want to save them for when the company got to the house, and 
And then we would eat. Now, those were pleasant. Were they good for us? I'm not going to talk about that. I, but I tell you, we, we enjoyed them. Now, you talk about something that's good and pleasant. Being in this room tonight, being together, being in this worship assembly with the Christians is both good and pleasant. It's good and pleasant for brethren to dwell together in unity. And the classic passage on unity surely is 1 Corinthians 12, verse 12. Listen closely. This is how he meant for it to be. For as the body is one and hath many members, and all the members of that one body being many are one body, so also is Christ. For by one spirit are we all baptized into one body, whether we be Jews or Gentiles, bond or free, and have all been made to drink into one spirit. For the body is not one member, but many. If the foot shall say, because I'm not the hand, I'm not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? If the ear shall say, because I'm not the eye, I'm not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? If the whole body were an eye, where were the hearing? If the whole were hearing, where was the smelling? But now God has set the members, every one of them, in the body as it's pleased him. And if they were all one member, where were the body? But now they are many members, yet one body. Now, what I want to do is to go through a number of the passages in the Scripture that talk about dwelling together. Now, you you think about the early church in Acts chapter 2 and verse 44 says, they that believed were all together, they had all things in common. That's pretty sweet. They were dwelling together. Chapter 2 and verse 46, they continued daily with one accord in the temple, breaking bread house to house, and they that had singleness of heart. What does it mean? You know, singleness of heart means that they were different people, different lives to be lived, but they were one heart in Christ. That's unity. What do you think about the things that we, that we do together outside of worship? I mean, in this church. Think about last evening, and many of us enjoyed the spring picnic together. It was terrific. We had red-faced, sweaty children running everywhere. And, and I declare they were having a great time. I, <clears throat> I was around them for a little while. One of them hollered out, watch this. And they did, he did his thing, you know, it was just fun. And then we set up under the pavilion and there was the sound of Christians up there. There was all the talking and, and the hamburgers and the smoke of the grill. And it was just, it was just wonderful. We prayed together and we ate our food and we enjoyed what I would call singleness of heart. Had a lot of visitors there too. Why do we do these kinds of things? Why do we have summer camp at Nayadi? Why do we have the, the men's retreat and the ladies retreat? Why do we do that? For what purpose is that? Is it just because it's fun? Well, it's fun, but it's more than that. It's about what we're talking about tonight. Think about the one another verses. This is practical. John 13, verse 14. Jesus said, if I then, your Lord and Master, have washed your feet, also ought to wash one another's feet. <clears throat> John fifteen twelve. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Again, what ties these together is the term one another. Romans 12, 10, be kindly affection one to another with brotherly love and honor preferring one another. Galatians 5, 13, for brethren, you've been called into liberty. Only use not liberty for an occasion to the flesh, but by love serve one another. Galatians 6, 2, bear you one another's burdens. 
and so fulfill the law of Christ. Colossians 3.13, forbearing one another and forgiving one another. If any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. Colossians 3.16, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. 1 Thessalonians 4 and verse 18, wherefore comfort one another with these words. Hebrews 3.13, but exhort one another daily while it's called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. And then Genesis 25.8, that doesn't use that phrase, but don't you love this? He gave up the ghost. He died in a good old age, an old man full of years, and he was gathered to his people. I don't know if what I'm about to do is appropriate, but I want to illustrate this point, and I want to I want to do it and show that that what the psalmist wrote here about it being good and pleasant, both pleasant and good at the same time, is just true. It's true about us. I want to show you a series of pictures. Now, these are, I don't know, 12 or 15 years old, and I took them back when we were in the old building. And so we're just going to scroll through these. Now, this won't mean a lot to, to those of you who are new members. You've come more recently, and we have a ton of those people But for those of you who have been members of the West Huntsville family for a long time, these will mean a great deal, I think. A dozen or so years makes a lot of difference, doesn't it? I'm telling you that that time's passed. It's gone. But when you look at it, you remember how, how long we've been dwelling together in unity and how important it is. It is pleasant, but I, I mean to say that it is good Now, let's go on in the psalm. What's it like? Now, what I'm about to read may not make as much sense to you as it did to the people to whom it was originally written. But it's this. That unity, brethren, to dwell together in unity is like the precious oil upon the head, running down on the beard, the beard of Aaron, running down on the edge of his garments. It's like the dew of Hermon descending upon the mountains of Zion. Aaron is the high priest the first high priest of Israel. Now, I want to describe to you, if you'll bear with me, and you'll need to paint this picture in your mind while I read this, but this is the garments that Aaron would wear. Now, he he made atonement. On the Day of Atonement, he would go into the temple in the most holy place, and he would be wearing these garments before he enters the most holy place. He'll remove these garments and he'll just have a simple linen tunic on or clothing on. But, but coming into it, he was, he was magnificent. And this was all according to the teaching, the will of God. The robe of the ephod, all of blue of woven work, worn immediately under the ephod. It was without seam or sleeves. The hem or skirt was ornamented with pomegranates and gold bells. 72 of each in alternate order. The sounding of the bells intimated to the people in the outer court the time when the high priest entered into the holy place to burn. The ephod consisted of two parts, one of which covered the back and the other the breast, which were united by the curious girdle. It was made of fine twined linen and ornamented with gold and purple. Each of the shoulder straps was adorned with precious stone on which the names of the 12 tribes were engraved. This was the high priest's distinctive vestment. 
The breastplate of judgment, of cunning work, it was a piece of cloth that was doubled of one span square. It, it bore 12 precious stones set in four rows of three in a row, which cons- constituted the Urim and the Thummim. These stones had the names of the 12 tribes engraved on them. When the high priest, clothed with the ephod and the breastplate, inquired of the Lord, answers were given in some mysterious ways by the Urim and Thummim. The mitre, or upper turban, a twisted band of eight yards of fine linen coiled into a cap with a gold plate in front engraved with holiness to the Lord, fastened to it by a ribbon of blue. He, he, was, he was magnificent. And the Bible describes his anointing with oil. Now, in Exodus chapter 30, we have a description of the, the recipe for that oil. Take for yourselves, this is the anointing oil. Quality spices, 500 shekels of liquid myrrh, half as much sweet-smelling cinnamon, 250 shekels. 250 shekels of sweet-smelling cane, 500 shekels of kesa, according to the shekel of the sanctuary, and a hen of olive oil. Now, most of those things, I do not know what they are. But don't you reckon that smelled good? It must have been amazing to fill a room with the aroma of that when the anointing would take place. Now, the anointing was done when kings were, were set in their position, in their throne. But also you have it in Psalm 23. You prepare, prepare a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runneth over. It's a celebratory. It's a wonderful moment in time. It must have been so wonderful, so amazing to think about the beauty of Aaron uh, with the, the garments and with the oil, such a beautiful moment that it's used to symbolize the beauty of people dwelling together who are God's people. Now, would you let that illustrate worship? It seems to me that in this psalm, you have a progression of three different stages. You have the first one, which is dwelling together in unity. But then the second one is the worship. Aaron was the high priest of Israel. Aaron was the one who made the atonement for the people. Let him represent, in the Levitical priesthood, let him represent worship. And you and I worship together. Now worship, if, that, if, that's, if, if that's acceptable to you, then worship is demonstrated here as being both vertical and horizontal. That's really a terrific and important thing to consider. It's vertical because what we're doing is offering right now our worship to the Almighty God. I mean, it's going up. That's what it's doing. And it's according to His will. John 4 and 24, God's Spirit. They that worship Him must worship Him in spirit and in truth. And so that's what we're about. Why do you think we sang like we did tonight? It's because that's what the New Testament teaches us to do, to sing and to sing together, to sing unified like this, Ephesians 5.19 and Colossians 3.16. And why do we do all the things we do in worship? The answer is because it's according to God's will. It's what the New Testament teaches, and that's what we do. But worship isn't just vertical, it's horizontal. I mean, deliberately, by design, God's made this to be horizontal. And so tonight when we sang, I know that we're thinking about God, but the Bible portrays it also as being Encouragement to one another. Colossians chapter 3 and verse 16. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching, watch, and admonishing one another in psalms, hymns, spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. So we're singing to each other. 
Ephesians chapter 4 says, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit, the bond of peace. And our psalm tonight says that the unity is just, it's just good and pleasant. It's a beautiful thing. Our unity is shown in that we dwell together, that we're together a lot as Christians. We need it. In the fact that we worship together, but then there's one more. It's the last one I want to show you. It's the way it winds up. Now, you have to take it as a package. Look at the psalm as a package. It's about how good and pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. What's it like? Well, it's like, it's like the oil on Aaron, the high priest. And so you have dwelling together and how wonderful it is. And you have worship. And then you have one more thing to consider <clears throat> at the bottom. It's like the dew of Hermon descending upon the mountains of Zion. It's very poetic, beautiful. For there the Lord commanded the blessing, life forevermore. I'm going to say that, that there's a level of unity in the body of Christ that exists because you and I talk about heaven and about being there together. And James led us in that last song, God's Family, when we all get to heaven and, and we dream about that. And it's not uncommon for us to talk about that. You think about the closeness that, that people have when they get to this level where they can talk about being in heaven together. In 2 Samuel chapter 12, you have David, and because of his sin with Bathsheba, the pregnancy that, that occurs, the baby's going to be born, but God takes the life of that baby, and David begs God. He fasts and begs God for the life of that child, and the answer was no. When the child died, why? David then washed his face, and he cleaned up, got something to eat, and his servants said, well, why do you have this change of spirit? And, and David said, I, 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 while he was alive, there was a chance, there was hope, but now there's none. But then he said this, I'm going to go to him, but he will not come to me. You think about in families right now, how close you get, now, usually it doesn't you know, you don't talk about it maybe so much until it gets sort of close. And then you talk about how that we're going to go to heaven together. We'll be in heaven together. And, and between parents and children, and usually it's, usually it's the other way around. And parents know that they're not long for this world. And they say things, important things to their children. I'm telling you, that's a, in that family, that's a precious moment. That's a high level of connectedness. When you say those kinds of things and you talk about heaven and I'll meet you there. I'll see you there. We will be together there, and it won't be very long. Precious moments. And sometimes, sometimes it's not between a parent and child. It's between a husband and wife. And lots of those kinds of conversations have gone around this church in the last year. I had a close friend in Virginia, Salem, Virginia, a deacon in the church, and his wife was church secretary. She had an extended illness, and then she succumbed to that illness. And on that occasion, uh, Tom, Tommy Richardson wrote this, this bit that I want to read to you. In this instance, Glenna's vapor has vanished a little ahead of mine, <clears throat> but my time is coming someday, and when it does, I'll see her again. We had 38 wonderful years together, but that's nothing compared to eternity that waits for me when together we will sing our praises to God. <clears throat> my children are grown and they understand that death comes after life and 
that we don't know how much of this life we're given. My bigger concern is that they're worried about me. I'm fortunate that I had a wife who loved me more than I deserved to be loved. She was a crown on my head, and when she moved on this morning, she left the crown in place in the form of memories. She was my teacher. These past couple of months, she's been at a stage in her life that I have not yet reached. Last couple of months, she has had a clearer understanding of what lies ahead than I have. She tried, and I think successfully, to teach me that she will not be gone, only relocated. My job now is to live by her example so that when I see her again, we can catch up on old times. If you see a smile on my face, please understand that it's genuine. For I know that someday, once again, she will stand in the door and welcome me home. One of the reasons that I spend so much time encouraging children from a young age, just sear it into their hearts, marry a Christian, marry a Christian, is so that ultimately these kinds of conversations will be had. I am looking forward to being in heaven and being there with you, that we will be together, that we will share that eternity together. And then we graduate from that back to the text and make it an application here about the Christians. He says, he starts the psalm and he says, it's good for and pleasant for brethren to dwell together in unity. He ends it by saying, this is life evermore. It's about life evermore. How many many comments do you hear in Bible classes about our being in heaven together? It's very common, you know. And then there are moments in this church, there are moments frequently when people say, you know, it won't be very long and we're going to be together again. I'm just saying that that's the way the psalm ends and it's about unity. And I'm saying that that this graduates to a very high level for we started with dwelling together and then we talked about worshiping God together and sharing that faith. And then we talk about how precious it is to think about the other side. And so here's the Apostle Paul's you might call it his, his funeral text. I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that you sorrow not, even as others which have no hope. If we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain to the coming of the Lord shall not prevent or precede them which are asleep. The Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trump of God, the dead in Christ shall rise first. And then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. And here's the last clause. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. When we sing, and we do it, have done it many times in this room, sing to me of heaven. We're not, we're not asking God to sing to us. We're asking each other. We're reaching out to one another. You sing to me of heaven. I want to sing about this with you. And sometimes <clears throat> we dream together of what it might be when we all get to heaven. God's family. I started this sermon by saying, I really want you to, next few minutes, if you're a member of the body, here. I want you to be very aware of where you are and what you're doing in this moment and with whom you're doing this. Our relationships, our closeness 
is described in this great psalm from centuries ago, and yet it's still very true. Behold how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. It's like the precious oil upon the head running down on the beard, the beard of Aaron, running down on the edge of his garments. It's like the dew of Hermon descending upon the mountains of Zion, for there the Lord commanded the blessing, life forevermore. I'm so glad that you're here. I hope, I hope this is encouraging to you. My, my point is to keep us drawn together. The, the unity of this great church must be protected, always protected, always treasured. <clears throat> is there someone here tonight who wants to obey the gospel? We'd be so happy, happy to help you render your obedience to Christ. Would you like to be a Christian? The New Testament teaches that to become a Christian, you need to believe that Jesus is God's son because of what you've heard from Scripture. You need to repent of your sins and confess him that you believe Jesus is God's son and you need to be baptized, immersed in water to have your sins washed away. And when that happens, Acts 2 says he adds you to the church. The church is the sphere of Christ's saved people. Tonight would be a great night to do that. If you'd like to, we'll just be so happy if you're ready to baptize you into Christ. If you need the prayers of Christians, and that would be a great time. We're going to sing a song of encouragement. If you'd like to respond, come as we stand and sing. We hope you have enjoyed this lesson from God's Word, brought to us by Glenn Colley. If you have comments or questions, Glenn can be reached by email at colley at westhuntsville.org.